0: You are listening to the PYD Lab, the podcast for implementers and young leaders who want to examine innovative approaches to positive youth development and hear stories of young people leading change in their communities. This podcast is made possible by the support of the American people through the United States Agency for International Development or USAID. The content and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the United States government. Hey, it's Natasha and you're in the PYD Lab. So today we are in the PYD Lab with Cassandra Jesse and Lisa Loxman, welcome. Thanks Natasha. Cassandra has more than 20-plus years managing large implementation programs and evaluations for USAID, UNICEF, and organizations like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And Lisa, you've been working domestically and internationally with youth in need for a number of years in PYD as well. I'm so thrilled to have you both here to talk a little bit about the Journal of Youth Development. Just to give a little context, the Journal of Youth Development is an open-source, peer-reviewed, quarterly online publication dedicated to advancing youth development, practice, and research. This quarter, they are publishing a special issue that brings together diverse perspectives on current research, practice, and policy regarding challenges and opportunities facing international PYD. Now, our YP2LE team members contributed their research and insight to the article titled, Listening to Youth Through 17, cross-sectorial youth assessments. It also focuses on the implications for programming and policy, of which Cassandra is a co-author. But you both are co-editors of this special edition. Your article is co-authored by Making Sense International experts that include Dr. Christy Olenek, Dr. Chelsea Palantino, Audrey Marie Moore of Mathematica Policy Research, and Nancy Taggart of USAID. We know that you have other amazing professionals in the particular issue. So I just wanted to kick it off by first asking, Lisa, could you tell us a little bit about the Journal of Youth Development and then hone in a little bit on this particular issue?
1: Well, I'm going to kick off by saying the Journal of Youth Development is an online journal that offers the opportunity for practitioners and researchers to bridge the gap. It was created through the National Association of Extension 4-H Youth Development Professionals in about the year 2006. And in that time period, it's expanded the opportunity to reach positive youth development practitioners and focus. Now, the special issue, we can just say that it's been a fun time. It's actually been a lot of fun and kind of having
2: this space to collaborate and co-create and imagine just where we can support the field going forward, kind of fall into the mission that we both individuals believe in, that intersection between practice and research, and really help those practitioners and people who are working in the field to build on the science that's out there and what we actually know about what works. And so this issue was
1: really an opportunity to do that.
0: Now, why was it significant for you to put together a volume that focused on international BYD?
1: There's never been an international issue dedicated to PYD from JYD, and nor can I really think of any other of the journals that have made a particular emphasis in this arena. For me personally, it was because I saw a great need between the domestic and international federal agencies that were working in this arena. Mm. And that was just a way for me to merge the interest. I mean, the Federal Interagency Working Group on Youth Programs was very involved and had worked on a PYD agenda. And then there was an informal working group that was working on international PYD. And at the time, that just seemed to make a great convergence of opportunities. But I would say, Cassandra, it was probably the momentum other factors there. So you might want to fill in some more about that.
2: I was the director for Youth Power Learning, which was the predecessor project to YP2LE. And we saw the sort of the academic researchers, they were pivoting and trying to identify what did we know from high-income countries and this more domestic space to understanding the applications internationally. And USAID made these significant investments. They really looked at what do we know and what works when thinking about positive youth development. We had done this systematic review um, under Youth Power Learning that looked at positive youth development in low- and middle-income countries and understand what works and what ways and how and to be honest, what we were left with were more gaps than answers. Mm -hmm. And so we had put forward a positive youth development learning agenda that really looked at some of those critical gaps and we're trying to find ways to address those gaps. But the biggest part of what we understood and knew is that people were doing positive youth development, but weren't documenting it. We weren't learning about it, and it wasn't getting elevated to a peer review level. And this was really an opportunity to take what we are learning from the field, to really try to understand it and unpack it, and make it accessible to those who are actually implementing the field. So to me, this was like document what we're learning and and help others learn from each other. And I think. We've achieved that in this issue. Is it a large community that's actually implementing
0: PYD? Are you guys like a tight-knit community and and you communicate regularly or...? youth power
2: and through youth power learning and then now YP2LE, I think that there's been a real fostering of that community. Mm. I think it's been one of the beautiful outcomes from it. And how do we, how do we learn from each other? And so through the communities of practice, through, you know, the website in different ways, the different convenings, the advantage that we've had over the last year and a half is connecting with people that would have been harder to engage in person. So I think that community is both building and connecting and growing in different ways. And Lisa, I don't know what you might want to add.
1: I was just going to say that it's that opportunity really to take this wonderful thing called PYD and globally look at it. To me, that's the part where it's the connections that we can build between domestic here in the U.S. or Northern America and really the global. And, and know that you know, the context is going to be important for us to all learn from each other. And that's where I really am looking forward to the articles springboarding more conversation.
0: Which is exciting.
1: We actually even have youth voice. Um, we have papers that draw on um, the role of helping adults know how to facilitate with young people, um, right. and yet young people's voice those articles and representation from World Vision and academic institutions as well are represented. So it's um, really a great mix of folks.
0: And it's exciting to see, you know, the voice of the youth be included, because I know that that is a large part of, of PYD, right, making sure that their voice is incorporated in all of the work that you're doing. Uh, To talk a little bit about some of the work that was highlighted in the article that you co authored, Cassandra, tell us a little bit about it. It focuses on the 17 cross sectorial youth assessments that were done under YP2LE. Why was highlighting these assessments important, and what are some key takeaways?
2: So, recognizing much of our work had aimed to reach the most vulnerable part of what we provided in this article was a snapshot of the factors that define vulnerability. Each country's definition of who was vulnerable did differ, which makes sense, right? Context really matters. But the areas that were generally part of vulnerability included their socioeconomic level, their educational attainment, religious, racial, ethnic backgrounds, youth disability status, gender was predominant across almost all of the different assessments and age and sexual orientation status, we can look at then what are the solutions that young people are bringing to bear to address that. We did notice regional patterns about how youth were characterizing marginalization. In looking at the findings, we took a sectoral lens in part because it is how people tend to enter a PYD approach, at least currently, but we did pull it together in a more holistic way as you go through the end of the article. And what are some of the other topics that are covered in it? I think our listeners can likely guess the top priority under the theme of workforce development and securing Mm -hmm. a decent livelihood is, is right there. Securing formal employment was considered the most desirable, but succeeding as an entrepreneur was seen as more attainable. But that said, entrepreneurship faced many challenges, including the lack of understanding of complex startup procedures, There was few role models, and little access to credit. Right. Across the assessments, youth saw education as a step forward towards self-reliance, and there is really a belief, particularly among younger youth, that I idealized education as that pathway out of poverty. They did note the challenges around quality young people were looking for education to be more flexible and to be able to reflect both their desires and be able to meet what opportunities that might be coming their way. So there was a lot going on around quality of education. You've heard a little bit around gender. I mean, the quality issues affected women much more than their male counterparts. And so thinking about what opportunities there are, what are the structural and institutional barriers that impede formal education, how do you better link education to formal employment are some important opportunities ahead. Wow. Successful interventions that we saw drew upon the private sector to help with that upskilling and connect the education sector to the workforce needs. There's a real opportunity for private sector to engage, but also many are coming back and and working with youth and mentoring other youth as their peers. That's pretty cool. Thinking about what Youth Voices teaches about health. So the youth did raise mental and psychological health as paramount. Family planning and reproductive health, specifically early pregnancy, was also a key issue that young people raised. And alcohol and substance abuse issues and the limitations around substance abuse treatment and prevention programs in countries were flagged as challenges and opportunities to really look at addressing those needs. So the solutions that they brought forward were really around youth-friendly health spaces that both focused on reproductive and mental health. And so I wanted to to flag just opportunities in the health space are there. And it isn't something that, through the assessments we explored enough, but there's a lot to explore and to support young people around. Wow. To not mention democracy, rights, and Mm -hmm. governance would be problematic. Those are important. Yeah, they are important. Okay, so democracy, human rights, and governance. In the article, we talk about youth voice and some of the safety and security Concerns And one of the things that was really top of mind for young people in every country was the frustration that adults and society writ large did not hear their voice. And then the way that they either wanted to engage or felt they could engage really did depend on the development context. Like health, safe spaces was seen as an important element for expression, for emotional growth, for building their confidence, for fostering community, and for looking at conflict resolution. Young people really focused on the importance of building trust, trust between young people and public institutions, trust between community stakeholders, and that there was a space for their voice to be heard and for their voice to matter.
0: Right. What advice would you give implementers in terms of the important considerations in international positive
2: youth development? We had undertaken uh, this analysis of the youth landscape and many issues are interwoven. You've got education connected to economic outcomes, but their health of young people is really important. What stability they face in country is critical to being able to achieve their own uh, positive outcomes. And yet very few activities actually address those systematic problems, policies, norms, and didn't focus as holistically in longer term. So if we kind of take a step back from sectoral lenses, that we do have three recommendations that were consistent across the assessments. Mm-hmm. Building capacity around adolescent and positive youth development is, Um, important from government levels all the way down to frontline workers that are engaged with youth and with youth themselves. Being intentional about focusing on and engaging with youth is critical and paramount. And then ensuring that programming is holistic and cross-sectoral. I'm also curious,
0: and Lisa, this is for you too, if you guys have any recommendations or things that you would point to, whether it's in this particular article or in the issue that private sector people should think about, because so much of it interlaps, especially when you start talking about the economy and and employment and job opportunities. Are there things that they should be thinking about in terms of helping implementers and policymakers do some
2: of this work? that is one of the areas that we really looked at in this assessment. The private sector has been sidelined in reform. When businesses can look at young people as strategic partners, when they build out trust where businesses can serve as advocates for youth, they're able to to better stimulate growth. They can think more expansively and broadly about the ways in which business can influence positively. And I think that there's, there's a real opportunity to help transform them as advocates and stakeholders and not just limited to employment initiatives.
1: Yeah, Lisa, any thoughts on that? Well, I think from a positive youth development perspective and a systems approach, one would want to think about it as partnerships from the get-go because a private sector will only be as healthy as both the educational and health systems for the potential participants and those that are active players already. And so, as Cassandra said, you know, it's kind of like they need to be involved and engaged. And it's this mismatch of skills, and that skills is attainable through education or experiences. And so how do you create those intentionally framed experiences for young people in those opportunities? And that's where partnering together, where both youth and the private sector are actively engaged in a partnership. And I think it has to also be viewed as developmentally. You know, we don't just emerge as youth. We start off as infants, children, youth to adults. And guess what? Those private sector folks are probably once a youth. Right. So kind of think about those experiences of what helped us. And though the the context has changed and shifted, it's it's important for us to keep that as uh, as partners in this.
0: What are the gaps and future directions for research on PYD?
1: Well, one of the things that came out of real startling to me is that we've been working on developmental theories and developmental perspectives. And to have now a conversation about, you know, we were always talking about the mean or here's a cohort and here's kind of like the average. And the key thing that's going to come out of all of this is that the end of average is gonna happen. In other words, we're gonna start looking at context specific. And I think Natasha, you already and Cassandra have alluded to this so much with the studies that have been done, context is important because young people are impacted by their connections. So whatever their parental, child, familial relationships are like are different. And the context in which they are, whether they're resource poor or resource rich, and then how those play out. So the context, so we'll be looking more in research, I believe at individual development and plotting for that because some interventions work well for some youth, but not for all youth. Mm. That's gonna be where we're really gonna be looking at how can research inform for practitioners to do a better job in implementing.
2: And I would add to that, and there were some efforts both in the journal and article that we had written, is measurement, right, and really thinking about how do we better measure youth engagement, how do we better measure positive youth development overall? And we had made some efforts under Youth Power Learning with a PYD measurement toolkit that pulled together basically what what we knew at this point. There's new efforts underway by a variety of groups. YP2LE is really thinking about measurement as well. And so I think there is movement forward. Which is super important. And I encourage
0: people to, to definitely check out your article and, and follow up by joining a COP and and actively working to see what they can do. Thank you for that.
1: What you're saying about the COPs, I participate in many of them and I encourage it. The COP that just recently did one on gender as Mm. well as um, youth engagement. And so I think it's really, that was one of the areas that we would say we didn't have as much opportunity to focus on from an LBGDQ, the marginalized populations so that's why we would encourage folks to want to share their articles with the JYD in the future so as future editions come don't wait for that any other other opportunities for special issues just make sure you get those in
2: yeah and i will second the sharing when we conceptualize the positive youth development learning agenda mm-hmm. we were really harnessing what we didn't know and needed to know as a community. And so there's a real opportunity for us to collaborate with each other to better support and harness the energy and documenting, writing about it, contributing to JYD or other articles and journals is a really important opportunity. And so I encourage all of us that are listening to share with each other. We have the ability to contribute in ways that move beyond just the immediate work that we're doing and to learn from each other.
0: I thank you both so much for coming on to talk about the JYD and its special issue and Cassandra, the, the article that you co-authored with the YP2LE team. Before you go, this is my favorite part of the show always, we want to hop into your PYD recommendations. Each episode, we ask our guests to come with three recommendations. One is usually a published piece. One is around youth, whether it's a resource or a project that you know of. Three is disrupt. What's a disruptive, innovative idea or project or resource that you you want to share with our audience. So I'll ask you about the first one, P, for published. What do you
2: got? I think uh, it would go without saying it's this journal, right? <laughs> so there'll be a lot in there that would be my published, and I think Lisa's as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you have for youth? Some of you may have heard about uh, William Kumkamba and The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Back in the early 2000s, I w- was managing a project that donated books in Malawi and had donated to his community. We had done some follow-up trips and you know, monitoring trips sometime later and found out about this amazing young boy who was 14 at the time who built a windmill based on what he had read in in response to a famine that his family and his community were facing, this windmill was intended to provide electricity and to pump water. With that, we had brought in journalists. He gets picked up by bloggers, invited to be TED speaker. He then, you know, got a scholarship, had really become famous. So wrote a book, movies, all of this. At the age of 21, he ends up setting up Moving Windmills and really focused on community empowerment, working with farmers, and helping farmers solve the problems that they're facing. They're moving into this next phase now, and it's been about a decade later. So he's just edging out of youth, but it's building on all of his work. And he's got this new project for Moving Windmills that's really focused on a hands-on collaborative learning center, this space to work with young people specifically, and his goal is to help young people find mentorship tools, skills that they need to be able to address their problems. And this sort of co-creation implementation space is something that he's in the process of setting up. And I just really see this as such a positive example. So movingwindmills.org, And last but not least, D for Disrupt.
1: Well, this is where the ties all together. Because in the journal, you'll find an article that's about the future trends. But the specificity principle the end of average is a book by todd rose who's dealing with the neuroscience piece in education Mm. so context matters and there is no average and william's story is a perfect example of how context he received a book and look how it transformed Mm. his developmental stage in pyd And now he's seeking now to provide a different context and specificity opportunity in principle for other young people. And each of them will have a different way they develop based upon the context in which they interact with him. But that's the cool piece about what the future holds is that we can begin to tease out those elements and make those practices and implement those programs that make the differences for all youth, not for some youth.
0: Right, Those are really powerful recommendations, and again, it just goes back to the power of getting involved because I mean, look at all the work that young man's doing based off of a book that he read. Yeah. You might just think oh, i'll I'll donate these books, but you never know, you know, the domino effect that it could have. So that's really, really amazing. Thank you both so much for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed learning about your work and p y d and and your amazing recommendations at the end. It's really inspiring. Well, thank you. This was really fun. Yeah, and Lisa, one more time, the website that listeners can go to to access the journal?
1: Yes, they can go to jyd.pitt.edu, and we hope you will check this out.
0: A special thank you to Cassandra and Lisa for joining us today. Congrats again on the special edition of the Journal of Youth Development. So, you may be asking yourself, what other resources does YP2LE offer to continue this rich discussion? I'm glad you asked. Here are three resources to aid you on your deep dive into PYD. A great companion piece to our conversation is Reset the Way You Think About Youth. It's a blog post written by today's guest, Cassandra Jesse. It talks about the 17 country and regional assessments, as well as using a post-COVID world as an opportunity to engage youth as partners in rebuilding. Our second resource is our Higher Education and Transformation Community of Practice. They recently hosted a great talk during their meeting on strengthening positive youth development in higher education. This COP is aimed at those who want to do just that, play an active role in strengthening the link between PYD and higher ed programming. Last but not least, for those who are starting from scratch, you may be asking yourself, how do I introduce PYD into my programming or to my organization? Well, we have you covered with PYD 101. It's a USAID Positive Youth Development e-course that's designed to give you the fundamentals of effective youth programming. There's a related course titled 201 that you can also access. Now, a link to that page and all of our recommendations can be found at youthpower.org pydlab Lab. Until next time, I'm Natasha and you've been in the PYD Lab.